Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. John chapter 2. Tonight we'll begin in verse 13. And just for a recap, we began as we've been going through the book of of the Gospel of John, seeing who Jesus really was. The Gospel of John begins claiming that Jesus was the Word of God, who was with God and was God. Uh, Jesus was pre-existent. Before He was born of Mary there in a manger, In Bethlehem, He had existed from all eternity with God the Father. And and John said that Jesus was God and He was with God. And in in verse 14 of chapter 1, it tells us the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. So God, from all eternity past, who made the world and everything in it, who made us, who made everything, became flesh. Became a human being to live among us. It's who Jesus was. And we see then in in chapter 1 how John the Baptist, not the same John who's writing the book, but John the Baptist came baptizing as a forerunner for the Messiah. And people were asking, are you the Messiah? Are, are you the, a prophet? Are, are you Elijah? Who are you, John? And John the Baptist was responding, no, it's, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. There's someone who's before me who's greater than I. His whole ministry was all about pointing towards Jesus. Pointing towards how great and glorious Jesus was. John the Baptist, for how great he was, he said he was not even worthy to kneel down and untie the sandal of Jesus. Jesus called disciples to Himself. And they were amazed at the signs that He did. Nathaniel, in particular, Make sure I'm right here. Nathanael was called by Jesus after Philip had come to him. And when Jesus saw him, he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And and Nathanael said, How do you know me? How do you know me? They had never met before, and yet Jesus told him who he was. Jesus said, before, I, before you knew anything about me, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus knew Nathaniel before He ever called him. And then last week, we looked at this wedding at Cana. This wedding where Jesus went to, He, he partook in a, in a wedding just like we have today. Brides and grooms, and you know what the great thing at a wedding is? The reception, right? And... Here, just like any wedding, they had wine at their reception, and uh, they ran out of wine. They didn't want to be embarrassed, and Jesus' mother came to him asking, would you make some wine for us? Would you make some wine for the wedding? 
Jesus made water into wine. He, he took what was ordinary water and He turned it into extraordinary wine. Wine that was better than what could be created out of natural processes. Jesus did these miracles so that people would see His glory. Verse 10 uh, I'm sorry. Verse 11 said, This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed Him. He did this miracle. He did the signs so that His disciples would see His glory and they would believe in Him. In fact, the whole book of John is written so that we might believe who Jesus really is. In fact, if we look at the very ending of the book of John, of uh, the Gospel of John, the very last chapter, and the very last verse of, not, not the last chapter, but the very last verse of the second to last chapter, it tells us these things have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. All of these things that we're reading about, these signs that Jesus has done, are all to point to who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. So tonight, we see Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, do something strange. Do something that we would think, why in the world did He do that? We're used to thinking of Jesus. When, we, when a normal person thinks of Jesus, we think of of Him doing miracles like turning water into wine, like last week. We think of Him doing miracles like causing lame people to get up and walk. We think of Him walking on water. We think of Him healing the blind. But we don't think of Him getting angry and throwing a table over. Yet that's what He does here. We think of Jesus calling the children to Him and saying, Suffer the little children to come unto Me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. We don't usually picture, picture Jesus taking some cords and fashioning a whip and driving animals out of the temple. Yet, that's what we see Jesus doing here. Let's read our text. John 2, beginning in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And He told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? 
But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken in your word. We thank you that you have called us here to hear it. And Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see your glory. Give us ears to hear your voice calling us to you. Father, help me. I am weak, but you are strong. In Jesus' name, amen. This begins. It's Passover time. Passover was the Jewish festival when they celebrated God saving His people in the Old Testament. The the greatest thing that God did throughout all of the Old Testament to save His people was at this event at Passover. When the Jews were slaves in Egypt and God sent ten plagues on the nation of Egypt so that Pharaoh would let his people go. You may have seen the Ten Commandments. That's what this is about. Upon sending, those ten com- or upon sending those ten plagues upon Egypt, the last one of those was that the firstborn child of all of Egypt would, be, would die. And God promised that if His people would put blood of a lamb over the doorposts of their houses, that the the death angel would pass over them and they would be spared. Pharaoh relented. He let the people go. And the Jewish people rose and fled Egypt to go on to the promised land, to receive the covenant from God on Mount Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments. And before they came there, they came to the edge of the Red Sea. They came to the edge of the Red Sea and they were they had chariots behind them. Pharaoh's chariots were chasing them. They, they were trying to get away and God did another miracle. Moses stood with his staff upheld. The waters parted and the people walked through on dry land. And as Pharaoh's chariots began to chase them through the water, God closed up the water and destroyed Pharaoh's army. That was Passover. Every year they would celebrate Passover to celebrate God's deliverance of His people. They were to remember where they were. They had been slaves in Egypt, and yet God had brought them out and saved them. 
It was at this time Jesus went into the temple and He found what was going on. The temple is the place where God was to be worshipped. The temple was the place where sacrifices were to be made. Year after year, day after day, sacrifices were made to cover the sins of the people. Yet we know, even David said during the Old Testament days, the blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for our sins. Yet all of those things pointed forward to the perfect Lamb of God who would come, who was Jesus. John pointed forward to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was Jesus. He was our Passover. He is the temple. Well, Jesus came into the temple and He found that people were not treating it for worship. They were not treating it as it ought to have been treated. But instead, they were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. They were selling those things and there were money changers there. How did that happen? Those things were designed for the worship of God. The temple was supposed to be a holy and sacred place. How did it come to be that they began to sell animals for sacrifice there? How did it come to be that they had money changers there? Good question. I'm glad you asked it. (laughs) People from all around would come to Jerusalem to participate in Passover. People from all over. You know, um, the the Jewish nation was scattered throughout all of of the empire. They had had been through the Assyrians coming through and wiping them out. They had the Babylonians coming and and deporting many people over to to Babylon. They had Jewish communities in in, uh, Rome, and they had Jewish communities all over Turkey. They had Jewish communities in, uh, in Egypt at the time. They were scattered all over, and people from all of those different places would come together to worship for Uh, Passover. That was their their most high and holy time of the year. People would be coming. Now when you go on a long trip and you've got children to bring along and all these other things, do you want to have to worry about bringing along your livestock and feeding them the whole time? (laughs) That's why they had animals for sale. They had people coming from all over the place. They weren't bringing their animals with them. They were. Uh, they expected when they got there, they would buy one so that they could sacrifice for their family. It's actually very logical that they would do that. Now the money changers, what is it about the money changers? Well, in the Roman era, the coinage would have had Caesar's inscription on it. Caesar's image. For one, you know, the Ten Commandments tells us you shall not make any graven image. And so that was a problem, to bring Caesar's image into the temple. Or the fact that Caesar was expected to be worshipped as a god. They wouldn't bring that defiled currency, this image of Caesar, this one who claimed to be a god, into the temple to use for worship. So they would come and they would exchange that for another kind of currency that did not have the image of Caesar on it. 
There was a logical explanation why they would have animals and things there for purchase. There was a logical explanation why they would be money changers, but there was problems as well. It's very likely that people would uh, would would bring in animals, and maybe there was some. some it's possible. It's likely that there was. Um, uh, priests who would turn down an animal because it wasn't just good enough. And they'd turn it over to these people selling animals and then they'd turn around and sell it again and make some kind of a profit. They would be thieves. And Jesus said not to make his father's house a den of thieves. They probably could have been ripping people off with what they were doing. And another reason that there was something wrong with this is the fact that um, in the other Gospels, it tells us my, uh, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. The, the outer court of the temple was supposed to be called the court of the Gentiles, the place where Gentiles were allowed to come. They, there were, the temple was arranged in a, in a kind of a concentric circle so that the, the closest circle, the most, one that was the most central to it was the Holy of Holies where only one man could go inside. The high priest every year would go inside and offer the Lamb on the Day of Atonement. And then there were other... Uh, there, there was the holy place and outside of that I don't know all of the parts of the temple anymore. At one time I did. But there was a place that was reserved for the Gentiles, that they could come. They could come and worship. And whenever Jesus says that his house should be a house of prayer for the nations, it's a hint that probably these money changers were taking over what should have been a place where the Gentiles could come and worship and turning it into a marketplace. And crowding out saying, you're not important. Those Gentiles, they're not important. They're, they don't really matter, so let's just take up their space and use it for our marketplace. Whatever the reasons were, we can imagine whenever Jesus walked in and he saw these sheep and oxen and pigeons and the money changers, he was enraged. Because his father's house was being abused. It was not being treated with the honor that it should be treated. And so Jesus took cords and he fashioned it into a whip and he chased everybody out. All of the money changers and those who had the cattle and the sheep and the pigeons... Sounds strange to us. But I think the, the verse here that the disciples reflected on afterwards tells us why Jesus did it. They said, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus was zealous for God's glory. He was zealous for God's house. He was, and the temple actually was supposed to represent something. It actually represents two different things. One, it represents Jesus. Jesus is the new temple. 
He was the temple. And it also represents His people. If you are a believer in Christ, we are united together in Christ, and we as believers make up the temple of God. Our bodies are the temple of God. That's why it matters what we do with our bodies. Because our bodies are the temple of God. Jesus saw that people were treating God's temple wrongly, and He wouldn't have it. He chased them out. The next thing we see in verses 18 through 22, So the Jews said to Him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up, raise it up. And the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But He was speaking about the temple of His body. They wanted to know on what authority, Jesus, what authority do you have that you could come in here and do this? You're acting like a madman, Jesus. You're acting crazy. Who gives you the authority to come in here and do this? What did Jesus tell them? You want a sign? You want a sign to know that, that I have the authority to do this? Tear this temple down and I'll raise it in three days. And of course, Jesus often says things that are kind of an enigma. He says things that kind of have a double meaning to them. Later on, whenever he has a conversation with Nicodemus, he says, "You, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? What's being born again? You've got to be, go back into your mother and be born again? And Jesus says, no, no, you totally misunderstand. Here's the same idea. They heard Him say, tear this temple down and we'll rebuild it in three days. And they heard, tear this building down and I'll rebuild it in three days. Verse 22, When therefore He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered He had said this, and they believed the Scriptures and the Word that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus was raised from the dead... When He died on the cross and rose again, His disciples thinking on that event, the event of whenever He was asked for a sign and how He could do this, they remembered, oh, Jesus said he would tear, you could tear down this temple and raise it up again. He would raise it up again in three days. The Jews asked for a sign. Who gives you the authority to do this? Who gives you the authority to come in and mess up our marketplace? To act like a crazy man with a whip and chase everybody out, livestock and all? Jesus answers, the sign that I'm giving you is the resurrection. I'm going to die, and in three days I will rise again. That is the proof that He is the Christ. That is the proof that He was the Son of God. That is what John was writing all along from beginning to end here in this Gospel. His whole point was to say, 
Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. And He's writing this so that we might believe it. And all these signs are so we might believe it. Jesus says the sign that will be given that gave Him the authority to do what He did was that He would rise from the dead. And finally, this last part. Now, when He was in Jerusalem, the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs He was doing. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Jesus did a lot of signs and people believed. They saw what they, with their eyes what Jesus was doing and, and they believed. That was the, what the signs were for, wasn't it? That was to make people believe. But Jesus responds, on His part, He did not entrust Himself to men. He knew what was in Men. This word entrust in the Greek is actually the same word for believe. You can kind of say it like this. Many believed in Him because they saw the signs, but Jesus did not believe in their belief. There is belief in Jesus, and then there's belief. Jesus knew that not everyone who said they believed, not everyone who looked like they believed, really believed. There's a lot of people who make all the signs of true belief. They'll claim, I'm a Christian. You can question them and question them, and they will not deny that they are a Christian. Jesus said, there are many on that day whenever He comes who will say to Me, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in Your name? Did I not do all these mighty miracles in Your name? And yet Jesus will say, depart from Me. I never knew You. Jesus knows the difference. We cannot pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. He knows our hearts better than we do. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? We deceive ourselves all the time. We always have mixed motives in our hearts, yet Jesus knows down to our core who we are. He knows whether our belief is real or not. In summary, what we've seen so far, Jesus, this one who could read our thoughts, this one who knows our hearts, was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the one who Moses wrote about. He was the Christ. The one who the Old Testament was all pointing forward to. And the proof of that was the resurrection that He pointed forward to in saying, destroy this temple 
And I'll raise it up in three days. And on the basis of who he was, he had the authority to walk into that temple and seeing all the things that were going on and how it had corrupted, he had the authority to cleanse the temple, to drive everything out that was abusing his father's house. And the way that applies to us today, I mean, there's many ways that it can apply, but here's what is on my heart that I want to share. Jesus still has authority today because He is the Son of God. He is the Word made flesh. He existed from all eternity. Nothing was made without His hand. He is the Christ, and He has authority as the Son of God to come to His temple and drive out the impurities. And what did I say? Now, we believers are His temple. Jesus Christ has the authority to come to His people and demand things. He can demand of us that we put out those things in our lives that are not honoring to Him. He has that authority. He is our Lord. We often say, you know, when we trust in Christ, we trust in Him as Savior and Lord. But we oftentimes put more emphasis on Savior And we don't really talk much about Him as Lord. He is not only the one who saves us from our sins, but He now becomes our Master. He has rightful ownership of us. He has every right over us when we trust in Him. Now to someone on the outside looking in, that might sound, why would you do that? Why would you want to have a master over you? But to someone on the inside, we realize, just like the old Bob Dylan song said, you're going to serve someone. (laughs) Who knows the Bob Bob Dylan song? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve someone. We're all going to serve someone. We might serve ourselves. We might serve the devil, as Bob Dylan said. But we're going to serve someone. Jesus Christ has authority as the Son of God over our lives. And we must, He commands us to repent, to turn away from our sins, and to trust in Him. This is not a a works salvation where we have to clean ourselves up first to make ourselves acceptable to God. No, no, no. We come freely. We trust in Him. We believe in Him. And He changes us from the inside out. He makes us a new person. And we walk a different way than we walked before. This is our Jesus. The Jesus who came in, drove animals and money changers out of the temple. This is our Jesus. He is glorious and He deserves our worship 
our praise, and our obedience. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at redeemerbaptistpanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.